Before we get started, we just want to let you know about a few ways you can support our Grassroots Indie show. You can follow us on social media at No Bad Reviews Pod. We'd love it if you could go to your favorite podcasting app and rate us and review us. Also, please tell a friend about our podcast. And last, you can financially support us on patreon.com slash nobadreviews, buymeacoffee.com slash nobadreviewspod, and you can buy merch at our website, nobadreviewspodcast.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode. Hello, and welcome to No Bad Reviews, colon, a coffee podcast. This is a podcast where three friends, co-workers, and coffee industry professionals get together every other week with cats <laughs> and discuss coffee, and we let coffee inspire learning. So we're learning about something every week. Yeah. Every week is, uh, you know, it's an opportunity to learn something. You know... Forget trying to learn something new every day. Right? <laughs> every two weeks. Every two weeks. That's, That's enough. That's too much. You got a lot. That's on your already plate. too much. Yeah. Well, people ask sometimes, like, "Oh, how do you pick your topics?" And I'm like, "The topics pick us. <laughs> they kind of do. They do. We pick a coffee, and then whatever, wherever that's taking us is where we go. Yeah. We just follow the coffee, which yeah. leads us here to a living room. Well, yeah. I'm Jenny, and I run the operations at a coffee company. I'm Marcus, <laughs> green coffee buyer, local coffee roaster, and uh, one-armed bandit. <laughs> Don't even joke. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tempt fate. Uh, uh, I'm Stephanie. I'm the employee of the month at Modest Coffee, and I spent the whole week learning about the Democratic Republic of Congo, and I'm exhausted. Hmm. That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's a doozy. I took on a little more than I could chew. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. Because I remember last week we were talking about that, and I was like, "Go into the war. I want to learn about the war." I'm sorry. I hope I didn't influence you. There's a lot there. Well, we're all a little hungover this morning. Yes. I don't even drink, so I can only imagine how you guys feel. Tired. Yeah. So hopefully this goes okay today. Yeah, I'm just a tiny, tiny bit hungover. It'll probably make me more entertaining. Counting on it. Let's hope. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're here. Yeah, we had a party last night. Yeah. At to, went to a party last night. Yeah. Really fun, crowded house party. Mm-hmm. It was like one of those things I haven't done much of after in these post-COVID, still-COVID times. Yeah. It was fun. Good, 2023 yeah. is the year of the party for me. Every weekend I want to go out and do something. Marcus says no. No, I'm just, I'm shaking my head because it's like we're, we're, we're hitching a ride with you, Steph. <laughs> <laughs> Wherever you're going, we're going to follow. Awesome. We'll find a party. Let me, I'm not worried. Well, that's kind of my plan. If we don't have a party to go to, let's just find a party. Yeah. I think it would be fun if we could find a swanky party to go to. A swanky party? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like something. Party. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah like, just show up. Right. I mean, if it's a big party, they'll be like, how do you know John? <laughs> be like, we don't. We just no, showed up. He, and be like, he bought coffee from us. <laughs> I'd be like, how do you know John? And then they would tell me how they know John, and then I'd learn a lot more about John, and then I could go find John, and I could be like, John. 
Yeah. That art dealing you do is so cool. No, so this is it. This is how you crash the, the, the thing. You're like, we're just ourselves, and, you know, he buys coffee from us. And then next thing you know, He's right? buying coffee from us? Is that is that somebody there is like, oh, I've heard of you guys. And then they introduce us to John. Like, you need to meet these guys. And John's like, oh, these guys are just friends here. They belong here. They're friends with that guy, right? He's so confused. He's This is it. This is how we do it, guys. I'm looking forward to getting myself kicked out of this mystery, mysterious party. It's going to be fun. So I No, have... wait. We're going to be so fun and entertaining. They're going to be like, please come to all of our parties. <laughs> yeah. I can assure you, I've gotten kicked out of uh, the Mill University of Wisconsin 1976 reunion. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> Um, I'll go to that party, too. Yeah. I just want to go to all the parties. I want to experience all the people, all the things that they're doing. I can assure you it's not by walking in and going straight to the bar. (laughs) (laughs) You should have said you drove your dad there or something. Oh, Oh, you don't know John? (laughs) Yeah. He graduated in 76. (laughs) That's true. That's good. See, Steph, this is why we need you. We need a a liar amongst (laughs) us. I'm sure the Congo, what, that started in 1976, right? It's, uh, it's been around a little longer. <laughs> I'm going to start with the company, though. Today we're doing, the reason we're talking about the Congo is because we have this uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo North Kivu coffee from Anodyne Coffee Roasting out of Milwaukee. They're I good. think we've had a Kivu, is that right? But Kenya? Um, it's the same mountain. Okay, yeah, and it would be Rwanda or Uganda. Oh, yeah. it could be that too. Then, yeah, I just know oh, I've it seen could be both. <laughs> I think I've seen Kivu on one of our labels in the past. I don't know which. Yeah, and maybe it was Rwanda. Yeah, Lake Kivu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe I have never had coffee from the Congo. That's why I bought this. I was in Milwaukee. I was in this coffee shop, and it was really cute. And the people were really nice. Anodyne and coffee roasters. Anodyne. So they have a definition on the back of the bag. Anodyne, adjective, capable of soothing or eliminating pain, relaxing, a medicine that relieves pain, a source of soothing comfort. The name came from the owner of the company was looking at logo design, and he was specifically looking at patent medicines mm. from, like, the turn of the century, mm-hmm. and um, which this kind of does have, like, a sort of old style font kind of thing happening. Yeah. It does, yeah. Here. It does. It Wait. reminds me of like something post. that some somebody would get tattooed on their arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said the word anodyne kept coming up when he was like looking for logo design and he really liked it. And it's also the name of an album that he likes by Uncle Tupelo. Sounds familiar. Have you heard of Uncle Tupelo? I've heard of it. No, but I think it, Tupelo um, is a city. Um, oh, yeah. In, uh, like Mississippi, Mississippi. yeah. Oh. So maybe that could also be where you've heard of it. Interesting. I, as somebody who gets a little anxious when they drink too much coffee, this is not the definition of coffee <laughs> that I would go with. But yeah. I love the. Well, I love what he's trying to do. A warm, soothing cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've been to a couple of their cafes, and I and they're always like great experience. Mm, good, yeah. you have been in and out. Yeah, they have four now. Yeah, they have mm, four good for cafes. Them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's talk about the company a little. The owner is named uh, Matt McClutchy. And he's around 54, 55 years old and born and raised in the Milwaukee area. And he did, I found one podcast that interviewed him and I listened to it. It was not a coffee podcast. Oh, and now I want to know what kind of podcast was it. A podcast about his favorite hobby. 
which is the most boring thing you could ever make a podcast about. Coin collecting. <laughs> um, model airplane flying. Oh, it's actually something that Jenny might not find that boring. It's marathon running. I do find that boring. Oh. <laughs> um, you know a lot, what? But a lot of me time. That is a lot of me time. A lot of podcast listening time when I trained for that marathon that oh. one time. Um, it was an hour and five minute podcast and they spent two minutes talking about coffee and an hour and three <laughs> minutes talking about running. And um, it's just not my thing. But if you're into marathons and you live in Milwaukee, it seems like a great podcast. It's called Cream City Pacers. I want to know what they talked about for an hour oh my about gosh. running. Like what? What? I mean, it's like you put your shoes on mm-hmm. and you run. Runners high. I'm sure that came up. That always comes up. Where did you run today? Where do you like to run in Milwaukee? This is where I like to run in Milwaukee. What marathons have you done? It's during COVID, so some marathons have been canceled. Which marathon do you wish you were running this year? If you could run with anyone, who would you want to run with? <laughs> I don't know. It, it just nothing but running. Wow. Uh, Barack Obama was his answer to who he would want to run with if he could run with hmm. anyone. That's that's good. I that's mean, good. I I could person to run with. I think I'd be too intimidated to run with Barack Obama. Hmm. Like I like kind of a slow and like not good <laughs> runner, and I imagine Barack Obama would be like. <laughs> well, Matt McClutchy is a good runner. He came in fourth in the Milwaukee Run for Justice Holy marathon. Fuck. That's pretty good, apparently. Fourth in a fucking marathon. Hell yes, that's good. He right. probably ran it in like two hours and 25 minutes. Could you imagine 26 miles in two hours? No. Could you even drive 26 <laughs> miles in two hours? <laughs> Not the way I drive. <laughs> Remember that time that we ran that half marathon and they were like chasing after us with the gates? They, they were, were like, cleaning close. up behind us. <laughs> you guys are dead. It's been 15 hours. <laughs> Literally taking apart the marathon behind us as we were running along. And by running, I mean barely jogging. We were walking with like a jogger's gait. Um, The last thing I will say about marathons (laughs) is in this interview, Matt McClutchy said that um, he was headed to the Grand Canyon on a vacation with his family and his plan while he was there. To run the Grand Canyon. To run rim to rim. Did you know this was a thing? No, that sounds terrifying. Wait, I'm trying to... Okay, so I've been to the Grand Canyon... I know it's incredibly wide, and to get from the south rim to the north rim, you have to drive like seven hours. <laughs> I don't think that's the rim he was running in between. I well, those are the only two rims. It's the front. Oh. It's the north and the south. Unless he started all the way at the end of the Grand Canyon and just had to like run around the edge. Okay, what I understand about the rim to rim run is that it's just over twenty miles. And the elevation changes by like 700 feet, which hmm. I guess makes it difficult. I could imagine. But there's also a rim to rim to rim run that is 44 miles. How? Because remember how I was like, oh, Marcus, let's drive around the Grand Canyon. Because we drove straight up from Phoenix. Mm-hmm. So we were like in the middle of the state. Mm-hmm. And then we had to drive all the way to the edge. And it took forever. And then we decided to drive the long way to Las Vegas. So we went and looped around, and then you go through, like, all of Arizona or Utah. Then you're, yeah, after you get on the other side, you're in Utah. Hmm. And so if you can imagine how wide states are, that's how <laughs> <laughs> that's how wide the Grand Canyon is. Maybe there's a bridge. 
I've only seen it from a plane. It didn't look that big. 700 feet, <laughs> though. 700 feet, though. 7,000. They... Oh, 7,000 feet? So, oh, so he goes so down, down and comes oh, back yeah, up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rim right. to rim, like, down and up. Yeah. Yeah. So not around. That's my no, question. No, not I around. I was like around. Yeah, no, right. no, 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 no. Oh, no, no. no. Going I down, down and up. up. I didn't know that you could go down. Oh, yeah. And up. Yeah. yeah. Without, like, a donkey. No, yeah, it's all Watch taped. out for donkey poop. That's what I read when I looked into this. Okay, because like, they've got steps and stuff. But it's like, isn't it like a foot wide and you're going to die? No. Um, Are it there is guardrails? It's technically not legal to do this. Oh, see? Oh. That's how dangerous it is. <laughs> oh. The Grand Canyon's fucking terrifying. If you're at the Grand Canyon, even with a guardrail, it's fucking terrifying. The scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. Let's also quantify that Jenny does have a fear of heights. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Okay, I think anybody, even without a fear of heights, would be like, ooh, oh, yeah. be careful of this one. Yeah, for sure. But that's what I'm saying. Is to that, run like, down having, it? I'm not trying to minimize. I'm just saying, like, somebody that has a fear of heights, like, I don't have a fear of heights, and driving around it is pretty deep. That's pretty deep. <laughs> <laughs> so rim to rim to rim. God, down, it says down, up, up down, down, up. That's yep. crazy time. This sounds like... Like a a porno movie that I saw in high school. <laughs> rim, rim to rim to rim. To rim. <laughs> uh, <laughs> all right, so sorry, I'm just really distracted by the fact that anybody would do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I wonder how Matt's run rim to rim went. Well, sorry. Have to- Keep listening I to that Cream City Pacers podcast. Okay, find out. this whole thing. This we have rim like to rim, theme. Cream City. Like, Marcus has set my brain in the gutter. <laughs> For sure. Let's move on. So, Matt McClutchy, he graduates from college. He doesn't really have a career. He describes himself as like a jack of all trades, kind of searching for what he wants to do with his life. He's living in Bayview, which is a really great little neighborhood on the south end of Milwaukee, right next to the lake. He has friends who own a coffee shop, not a roastery, just like a little coffee shop in Bayview, and they want to sell it. And they offer it to him at a really good price, mm-hmm. and he decides he's going to run a cafe now. So he's running this coffee shop. It's successful. He decides he wants to start roasting. Hmm. He ends up uh, moving to a different location in Bayview that still exists, and he puts the roaster in that location. 1999 is when he originally bought the cafe and changed the name to Anodyne. So okay. 25 years. Yeah. Um, That's a long time. A few years later, he opens up a second location in Walker's Point. This is huge, this place. They move the roaster there. They actually have two roasters there now, small batch. So like five, five kilos or something? Uh, like 35 kilos. Oh. Combined Medium or? batch. Okay. Yeah, I'm like, that sounds more medium. <laughs> yeah. Is it like 215s? It's 235s. 235s? 235s. Okay. They didn't look that big in the pictures. It's half as unless, big as Papa Bear. Unless okay. they're Mill City, and those would go in pounds. It could be 35 pounders, because I've never heard of a 35 kilo. They are, we're jumping ahead, but that's okay. They are Loring S35 oh. Kestrels. Loring, that's a fluid bed, right? Mm-hmm. So that maybe it also makes a difference. No, Loring's not a total fluid bed. Sorry, we're going to get Kestrels real technical, guys. Are fluid the Kestrels bed. are. Oh, I've never heard of that one. It's a different roaster. Eh? I tried to look up the price on this one, and I couldn't find it anywhere. Yeah. I could find a 15-kilogram Kestrel 
used, and it was like seventy-seven thousand. Yeah, lorings are expensive. They're really um, expensive. Made in the USA, stainless steel, and they're supposed to be. Um, they cut greenhouse emissions by like 80% compared to a regular roaster. Mm, Marcus is making a face at me. Yeah. <laughs> Marcus is rolling his eyes. Right. They, well, I mean, yeah, they claim that they, like, it's not like an old technology. It just recirculates the exhaust, mm-hmm. right? And okay. then it, until it gets to a certain temperature and then it's like just recirculating and then lets out a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So, yes, more efficient, but it's not like, this just how a lot of people do it. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you know, it's not I like love they when you get it. defensive. It's not like they Marcus that. loves to get defensive. If it's not, if it's not a drum roaster, Marcus is like, hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I have nothing wrong, nothing against fluid bed. It's fine. It's fine. This is every coffee roaster, just so everyone knows who's listening. This is Marcus is no different than any other coffee roaster. They're all very protective of their craft. It's like their baby, right? It's yeah. like telling you like your baby's ugly. <laughs> well, my baby's better looking or than like yours. Like a car guy, right? Like or something that's like a gearhead, right? Yeah, like they that have makes like, sense. Like yeah. I don't know, man. A Ford fucking seventy two, blah blah blah. It's like way better. You know, they're still their cars. They get around. <laughs> well, it roasts coffee. Whatever. Yeah. Um, sure. This Walker's Point location is really big. They have the roastery there. It's also a music venue and a Ooh. wedding venue. Um, they have music there two or three nights a week, and it was voted the best venue in Milwaukee, also the best sound system in Milwaukee. Hmm, that's really cool. The Moth recorded there. Oh, wow. love the Moth. That. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> um, and then they have two other locations. One of them is in the public market, so it's just going to be like a counter in like a giant food court, basically. And the other one is in the suburb where Matt McClutchy now lives. And I believe there they just sell like uh, baked goods from other local bakeries. I think it's like a pretty small operation there. Um, So uh, regarding his personal life, um, 1999, he bought the uh, cafe. 2001, he got married to a woman named Lacey Perry. Lacey seems pretty cool. She is really into gardening, and she raises chickens. They have four or five kids together. Four? Um, They got married in 2001, and they took their honeymoon in Italy. He's Italian on his mom's side. God damn. And they really freaked out about the pizza. And they came home, and they built a brick pizza oven in their backyard. This happens to like a lot of people. Like people, some people get really like your brother's putting in a pizza oven. Yeah, they <clears throat> love their backyard pizza ovens. Sure, but I think that pizza is still too much work mm. to make yourself. <laughs> Fucking dough. Yeah, it's too much work. I guess they got, got fifteen minutes. Really obsessed about the dough. Like, yeah, really obsessed. He said they would like stay up at night and sit at the kitchen table and like talk about like what minor changes they could make to the dough to get the pizza more perfect like they were really obsessed with it That's, it was kind of their thing for yeah. a while yeah you have it's to be obsessed with do. the dough mm-hmm. yeah that is where it comes from your dad makes a really good pizza though yeah, it does He's but you, have to, you have to be like that with coffee roasting too like mm. you have to be that sort of that minutiae in order to really get good so matt seems like a very serious thoughtful guy and like really calm like mm. his, his speech was like very thoughtful and I don't want to say slow necessarily, but he definitely seems 
you know, the he kind of person meditates. I'm talking about. Probably he probably does. Yeah. Very yeah. Zen. Very zen. Yeah. I'm thinking like while he's out running, he has a lot of time oh, to really organize his thoughts. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got like mm-hmm. five hours a day to just sit <laughs> thinking. You figured it out. You're so right. The runner's calm. Yeah. <laughs> so they've got this Bayview location where they used to do the roasting and they've moved the roastery to the Walker's Point location and now there's like a gaping hole in the Bayview location where the roaster used to be. Mm. Mm. So they decide to go ahead and put in a pizza oven (laughs) because they've perfected this pizza. Yeah. So uh, this is a Stefano Ferrara wood-fired pizza oven. <laughs> so they're like feeding logs into it? They're feeding logs into it. I mean, they've got it's the amazing. chimney, right? They that's may great. As well. Oh, I guess that's true. That's a good point. Yep. Stefano Ferrara is a third-generation uh, pizza oven builder mm. using clay and bricks from the foot of Mount Vesuvius. <laughs> I believe the way it was written in an article. That's so brilliant. great. Yeah. This is great. Um, this is when his wife, Lacey, quit her job. She was a speech therapist working for the public schools in Milwaukee um, and was like, like fuck, fuck this. <laughs> I'm making pizza. I'm out. I'm like People so... are going to love this. <clears throat> yeah, pizza. Yeah. It's like really uh, unique toppings. They use a lot of vegetables from their own garden Aww. and from local farmers. All of their milk and cheese is local Wisconsin farms, of if, course. If you're getting it from like right. Indiana, what the fuck? You're in <laughs> <Right>. Wisconsin. <laughs> These... It's probably so good. You have to get it from Wisconsin if you're in Wisconsin. Yeah. Did, Did you, you try one? It's... I want to fucking kill myself that I didn't try. We were literally a block and a half from this place. And we got coffee there a couple times, but they don't make the pizzas until 4 o'clock. Oh. I was planning to mm. go there for lunch, and then I realized we couldn't, and then we already had dinner plans. So I'm willing to drive back there just for the pizza. Maybe maybe we could all ride along when you do a delivery up that way. Let's and do we it. Could just Let's take a field trip. for a pizza. Um, it's an 800-degree pizza oven, and the pizzas cook in 60 to 90 seconds. What? Isn't that wow. something? That's, That's great. How do you, yeah, that is so fast. And with wood. Like, that's um, what I think is really amazing, too. So yeah. they're doing it yeah. with, like, logs. And you can't do that, like, at your house or even on, like, a commercial oven. You have to have, like, a full fire to get it that hot. Yeah. Right. You know? The insurance. Mm. Steep. You think? More yeah, than with sure. a roaster, you don't think it would be comparable? Mm. Maybe I don't know because I know if you want to get like a like Shop a around. one of those little fireplaces mm. uh, like a wood fired oven in your house, uh-huh. it jacks your insurance up by a lot. Oh, mm. oh. yeah, mm. interesting. That's why everyone does it in the backyard. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, they have over seventy employees spread out over those four locations. That's a lot of employees. Do you want to guess their annual revenue? Two point three million. I'm going to do double 10, 15 million? $18 million. Yeah. What the fuck? They're doing weddings, man. Big oh, money. Oh, yeah, that's true. Like, you you can, if you pop off like 10 weddings, that's like $10 million as it is. Yeah. <laughs> but here, I don't know how much weddings cost. I imagine like. <laughs> A million sounds right. <laughs> you know, it's like once you have something really good, though, and like that tastes good that people talk about, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's like a. It's like ants, you know, going towards sugar. It's just that they're going to be busy forever. It's, I mean, the pizza has really good reviews. All the coffee shops have good reviews. The music venue has, like, it seems like the growth has not been super fast. 
but it seems like he's been doing it right. Uh, yeah. Like slowly over 20, you know, four locations over 25 years. That's Yeah. How much did you say? 18? 18. 18. Mm-hmm. So 5 million a location or whatever, 4 million per location. I mean, cafes are, that's still a lot of money. Where's and they're also doing, they're also doing wholesale in grocery stores and stuff like that, yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Events. But, no, I mean, that's not, yeah, that's, I mean, are there's you calling some for level an of success. Audit? Are you? I am. <laughs> I don't trust those numbers. Do they sell alcohol, too? Yes. Oh, yes. At at least Bayview and Walker's Point, they sell alcohol also. You're there, then. That so they're like a bar easy. as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that changes things, yeah. Can we just open a bar? That's what we should mm-hmm. do. Like, we could do... The dive bar, diviest fucking coffee bar, <clears throat> coffee and com- comedy bar. It's just like getting a liquor license is such a pain in the ass. Shannon did it in like a week. Man, we were in Wickwood House yesterday. Sorry, this is an aside. Mm-hmm. First of all, the, she's just everything she does is so beautiful. The yeah. whole shop is gorgeous, but she also has like this beautifully curated selection of alcohols, oh. like of like beautiful bottles, and I'm sure they're fantastic alcohols and beautiful wines. Like if you ever need. Like a nice little gift mm. of like a fancy bottle of wine or a nice bottle of alcohol for somebody, definitely stop by Wickwood House. Okay, cool. It's like a very small but like beautifully curated <clears throat> selection of alcohol. Oh, perfect. Wow. So Democratic Republic of Congo, uh, I spent hours learning everything I could and I should have spent months, really. <laughs> it's very complicated. Can I just say? Yeah. Right. That from my own research, it's uh-huh. like people go to school to study this. Mm-hmm. It's like hundreds and hundreds of years of like tribal and, uh, you know, so I don't want to steal your thunder, but I know it's going to be really, really hard to wrap this up yeah. <laughs> in like a one hour episode. <laughs> I'm only hitting the highlights. So. Only hitting the highlights. <laughs> I think if anybody... <laughs> they I, are low life. You're yeah, right. that's true. I think I think that you can, um, I think you can give it overview. Yeah. I'm going to try. Right. I'm going to try. So if you just had hold it- your emails. That's all we're saying. <laughs> For all the people out there listening who are experts in the DN, no, DRC, um, I almost, uh, DNC. We're going to try that. <laughs> For all of you who are experts in the DRC, please don't come after us. <laughs> but I trust Steph's research. I'm doing my best. You know it's what? So Actually, they could. Send us your clarifications. We'd love to learn more. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about the geography first, because I think that'll help us understand what's going on. Um, this is a huge country. It's the second largest country in Africa. It's about a quarter the size of the U.S. Hmm. So hmm. big. Um, and the population is somewhere around like 110, 111 million. Wow. It's big. It's big, huge. Big. Wow. Um, <clears throat> so the Congo River Basin is like a huge rainforest, um, 500 million acres, and it expands over six countries. But quite a bit of it is in the DRC. The DRC is like, I don't want to say it's round, but it's roundish. And it's considered Central Africa. And it really is kind of right in the center, just south of center. Mm. It has a tiny little arm that reaches out to the Atlantic. So most of the center of the country is this huge rainforest. There is some savanna. And then right along the northeastern edge is like a mountainous region, which is the Kivu Mountains, which is the coffee zone. So if you imagine the DRC as a circle, which it's not really, 
and you imagine that to be like a clock face, then from one o'clock to three o'clock is like the coffee zone. Mm. Just like mm-hmm. right there on yeah. the edge yeah. of the country. Because coffee needs a certain elevation to grow. Yeah. Yes. Well, good coffee. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. They grow a lot of Arabica. They also grow quite a lot of Robusta. Mm. It was originally like 80% Robusta, but they're growing more Arabica now. That's the good one, guys. That's um, the good one. I'll fight you on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've got these Kivu Mountains at that 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock spot there. And then on the other side of the mountains, you have Lake Kivu. Mm -hmm. It's about 30 miles across. It's about 1,000 feet deep. We're going to talk about this lake because it's really interesting. And then the the dividing line between countries runs right through the center of that lake. And on the other side, you have um, Uganda and then Rwanda and then Burundi. And then on the other side of Uganda, you've got Kenya, and then you've got Ethiopia. So this is all part of, like, a huge coffee region, right? We get lots of coffee from. Yeah, um, we've definitely had coffee, I think, from the Kivu region. I can't remember what country. Maybe it was the Burundi? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Could have been that, too. Mm -hmm. I forgot we had a Burundi. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so Lake Kivu is one of only like three lakes on the planet that is a limnic lake. It is prone to limnic eruptions. What this means is there's volcanic activity under the lake. Hmm. Uh And so there's like carbon dioxide and methane gas trapped under the water. And sometimes a little of it bubbles up and it's not ideal. But if something were to happen like an earthquake or something... All of that gas would erupt all at once out of the lake. Oh. It would cause a tsunami, and the the gas cloud would suffocate everyone in the area. We're talking like two million people would Holy die. Holy shit. Like immediately. What? This is insane. Yeah. I am imagining how they have like little flames going at landfills. Right. I feel like they need to have something going like this. They have started extracting some of the methane because they use it for to produce energy, but I mean Does to that me, then like lower the level of the lake? Because it sounds like there's just like a volcanic like hole that water's stuck in. I don't I don't quite understand This sounds terrifying. It yes. Yes it does. It sounds it's a very beautiful lake. They should, pictures. I think they need to be extracting more. No. I, think, I I feel like the extraction process is worrisome also, though, because then you're just, like, fucking with shit. You know? Mm. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> right. But exactly. Is this area prone to earthquakes? Well, no. But, like, there was just a huge earthquake not that far away. Yeah. hmm Yeah. Like, just a couple, recently. Like yeah. A days ago. <sighs> well... Thanks for that terrifying thought of the day. Yes, yes. So we, and do you think that there's like a possibility <laughs> that uh, we're living near a lake that has that? There's only like three on the planet. I don't know where the others are. I guess I'm kind of like, you know, you just never know what's at the depths of a body of water. Just don't fuck with water. Yeah. Just I don't fuck with water. Uh, I think we're so, once Says again. the person from the Midwest. <laughs> so lucky to live in the Midwest where we don't have volcanoes. We're unlikely to have earthquakes. We're just very yeah. safe here. Our water source is like four feet deep. Um, okay. Uh, so that pretty much covers the Congo. More than 200 African ethnic groups coexist occasionally peacefully. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
it, I, the resources there are unbelievable. Um, ivory for a while, rubber, timber, diamonds, iron, copper, gold, oil. Man, they got a fucking all there. No wonder they're yeah. fighting. Uh, uranium used to make nuclear weapons. That'll come up later in our yeah, story. Not, that's not a common one. And um, cobalt and coltan, which are both used in um, lithium-ion batteries. Hmm. So 80% of the coltan and cobalt are coming from the DRC. Wow. It sounds so, like as an electric car driver, I should be concerned about yes. the way I'm killing yes and well and as a cell phone user if you have a smartphone in your pocket you've got a little piece of the democratic republic of congo yeah Hmm. right there and laptop users too yeah you're no one's no one's no one's innocent um kids as young as six years old are mining this stuff they're making about 65 cents a day but part of that 65 cents has to go towards bribing, bribing the government officials who are supposed to be uh, watching out for child labor. Aww. <laughs> it's oh, my like God. a real mess. Yeah. It's like. Right now. Yeah. That's Aww. what's going on right now. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Western exploitation of people in just about every aspect of everybody's daily life is pretty awful. Yeah. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Not just Western exploitation. China's really into it, too. So. Well, and I guess. Africa, like, the, and that's the problem with these governments that were set up, you know, going back to colonial times, is that they were set up to extract yep. resources. Yep. And so when they hand over that government to whatever people are in power. Like, that's why this fighting has been going on for so long is because of the way they split it up and split up power. Yes, you know? yes. It's just like, it's 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 brutal uh, colonial exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. It never seems to end. Yeah. Um, it's the remnants of that. <clears throat> yes. You well, know? I think Steph's probably going to get into that more detailed. I'm I just concerned not. about the child <laughs> labor. Because, like, you right. think about it... This is what enables that now. Well, you figure... Textile manufacturing, electronics manufacturing, like every step of all of these processes that are so important to everybody's everyday lives mm-hmm. are built on exploitation. It's, I don't know how to solve that. Can yeah. we start mining that shit like in North America? <laughs> don't we got some cobalt somewhere? Everybody has to mine their own cell phone minerals from <laughs> now on. They probably do, but they just don't want to pay. It's probably cheaper to do mm, it this way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oh. Well, I'm just going to blame Apple because I don't like them. And Tesla. <laughs> and Tesla. Yeah, and fuck HP, you, Elon. And Dell. All of them. All them lithium-ion users. Nissan. Nissan. You know, Samsung. Who else? You know what? You know, this is you know just into like a corporate sellout episode. You know what? Because we're just li- listing everybody. It was capitalism all along. I'm wearing, my shirt. Ah, I'm wearing somehow, my shirt today. Somehow it all comes back around to you. Don't get an electric car. Support American <laughs> grown oil, American refined oil, and American made cars. That's right. Do they still make cars here? Yeah. Parts of them. Some Parts of them. Of them. They Michigan? Assemble them. I they assembled them. Assembled. That's nice. Right. It's like a, a yeah. big Ikea box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't know. How far back in history, where do you want to start? 850,000 years ago? You want to start there? Yes. Um, this is not 
in what is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. This is in the Congo River Basin, though. They found carved stone tools that they dated back 650 to 850,000 years. Holy moly. This is not, um, this is like real borderline for Homo sapien. Yeah, it's this just is like Homo erectus shit. Mm-hmm. Huh. It's just like fascinating to me. I was wow. going to say that pre- that predates Homo sapiens. It's really just like mind blowing mm-hmm. how long people have existed in this amazing place. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, n- they found a barbed harpoon that would have been used for catfishing uh, 90,000 years ago in the I'm sorry, they didn't find it 90,000 <laughs> years ago. They dated it to 90,000 mm-hmm. yeah. years ago. They found it in the 80s in the um, DRC. So definitely there were hunter-gatherer groups in the That's DRC so 90,000 years ago. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because they have like the, the water source and the forest cover. You right. have like a temperate climate. You're going to have animals to hunt and yeah. food to forage. Yep. So, so we were all really forest dwellers sense. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Well, safe too th- soon. That's how they say, actually, one of the theories of how primates went from, you know, primates to bipedal was they came out of the, like, the trees in the forest and kind of started moving around in savanna forest type mm. land. And it was easier to move. Like, you need to have your, your grip on four limbs to kind of climb up and down trees. But if you're trying to get around more in the savannas and stuff and get out a little bit better, it's more advantageous to be bipedal. Mm. Well, good job. So thinking about the DRC, you're talking about there's savannas, there's forests, mm-hmm. there's water sources, there's mm-hmm. going to be like animals all over the place. Yeah, all kinds of. Yeah, you're going to be able to get along pretty well as a hunter-gatherer yeah. 850,000 years ago. Right. Although, they, who, knows what the con- who knows what the land was like back then? Um, like pre-Ice Age or whatever? Yeah, really. <laughs> Jesus. By a lot. It could have yeah. been, Yeah. Um, hunter-gatherer groups did really well there right up through about 1500 BC. And that's when the Bantu people started migrating around Central and Southern Africa. This is a group that, um, they don't necessarily share a language. There are like hundreds of Bantu languages, but it's kind of the same way that like English and French and Spanish all came from Latin. Mm. So Bantu is like sort of the base the latin of yeah Mm -hmm. and so there's like there's like hundreds of different bantu languages but they all come from the same like these migrating people who kind of spread out all over and they still exist to this day yes yes the the drc is like 30 percent bantu wow yeah wow um so uh after after that, after like 1500 BC, between then and like mm, the 12th century, people started to settle down a little more, denser populations, and people started to have more um, specialized jobs. It wasn't all hunting and gathering anymore. It was like You're farming walking us through like farming civilization right now. The Iron Age <laughs> and all that, right? <laughs> Um, I know most of my history from Sid Meier's, like, civilization video games. (laughs) You're around turn, like, 30 right now. (laughs) 
Um, the Kingdom of Congo sprung up sometime around the 1300s. There were like several small kingdoms at this point, and then there was like a really important marriage between two kingdoms, and then they started to expand. And you end up with the Kingdom of Congo that had a really good run for like 500 years. Um, I don't think that the Kivu region was included in the Kingdom of Congo, like the the um, lines were drawn differently. I looked at several maps of Africa dating like between 1500 and 1800, and I couldn't really make sense of them. The maps wow. are drawn by Europeans, so they don't entirely know what's going on. Mm-hmm. And there's just like a lot of open area that I think was small kingdoms this whole time, yeah. like right up through the 1800s. So I'm not sure what country the Kivu Mountains would have been in if they were in a country at all prior to the 1800s. I mean, it could have been, too, that, like, these open spaces just weren't inhabited or claimed as well. Because, I mean, you think nowadays everybody's like, oh, well, we got to push borders right up to each other. Right. But, you know, if you're maybe a hunter-gatherer society, like, your radius is going to be your radius. Right. You know what I mean? You're not necessarily trying to meet borders with somebody else. Right, right. Potentially. Yeah, especially if it's, like, over common, like, hunting areas, too. You guys probably all are like, yeah, this is just good area, whatever, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah. Know. Things started to go south for the Kingdom of Congo in the 1600s. They were they had a slave trade before the Europeans showed up. They were, um, you know, slavery was different in Africa. It's not the same as how we knew it in the U.S., obviously. Uh-huh. It was much different. But they had, like, a relationship with Portugal, like a good relationship with Portugal for hundreds of years where they were trading slaves, not necessarily slaves from the Kingdom of Congo. They would, like, capture them in neighboring countries, sell them to the Portuguese, oh. whatever the Portuguese were trading. The um, fuck, man? It was pretty nuts. That? It's pretty crazy. Just, like, fighting a war over territory. Next thing you know, you're, like... In Portugal, yeah, right, <laughs> or not necessarily, or in the New World, then, yeah, Jesus. um, yeah. So there were like three. There was some sort of disagreement over the slave trade in the 1500s between Portugal and the Kingdom of Congo, which led to three wars in like between Congo and Portugal. Hmm. Fought three wars against each other. And then, like, they were, uh, the Congo was friendly with the Dutch while that was going on. And then there was a civil war in the Congo. And that's when the kingdom of the Congo kind of fell apart. So that brings us to uh, 1884. King Leopold II from Belgium shows up. This guy's a real piece of work. Um, The heads of state of Europe at this point have a big meeting where they, like, divvy up Africa amongst themselves. Of course. I, I think I do remember learning about this, yes. And so maybe crazy. in one of my researches, too. This they were just crazy. like, all right, well, I want this, and I want that. And they're all negotiating. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you, we'll agree to giving you this if you give us this or whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah. As though people didn't already live there and govern themselves. Right. Outrageous. Yes. Yeah. So that is how the existing Democratic... Uh, Republic of Congo got their border lines. Like, that's when this country's borders were drawn. It was not called the Democratic Republic of Congo at the time. It was 
given to King Leopold of Belgium, and he named it the Congo Free State, mm. which is the most ridiculous name. <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> to wrap my mind away. Like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> yeah, it it was meaningless yeah. for sure. Yeah. Unless like it's kind of like the Detroit Free Press, where it's just like press for free. Is that what they? Or that's like free of guidelines. It's like I got it for free. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's the state that I got for free. So In here. Case anybody's wondering. It's my free state. <laughs> okay. It is that is exactly true. Because here's what happened. Here's what made this particular brand of colonialism totally different from anything that had existed before. King Leopold didn't claim the Congo. For Belgium, he claimed it as his own personal private property. Like his vacation home. Yeah. This guy's a real piece of work. I feel like I remember learning about what an asshole he was. He was something. We're going over. You're reminding me of all the asshole things he did. Oh, no. Wait. I've heard some fucked up stories, maybe. All right. Okay. So this is now... It doesn't belong to Belgium. It's not a colony of Belgium. It's his private property. So the Belgium army, Belgian army is not responsible for this land. He puts together his own private army of mercenaries. Mm, of locals? Um, all of the, um, a lot of the soldiers are local Congolese people, mm-hmm. but all of the officers are European. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really large vacation estate. It's too big. Well. Who needs that much land? I don't know if he ever even went. Um, it's probably an economic decision for him, I'm guessing. Yeah. So he could be like mining and getting richer personally. Yeah. Right. No doubt. He, uh, he basically like ran the country for about 25 years. And in that time, half of the population was murdered. Mm. 10 million people estimated uh there wasn't very good record keeping um let me i'll just tell like stuff i'm having a, a real hard time giving you no bad review on this yeah. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> this guy you know what let's make an exception this guy gets a lot of fucking bad reviews yeah, yeah. he does he, he gets does. he gets negative stars um he was even booed at his own funeral procession by his own people Ugh. so yeah um I'm going to tell one story about him. I'm going to tell one story about how things were in the DRC while he was in charge. Um, In the 1890s, rubber prices around the world skyrocketed. And there's a lot of rubber in the DRC. So he gave everyone, um, he gave everyone like a, a quota, a daily quota. This is all forced labor. No one's getting paid anything, obviously. Mm. It's like he's got a giant plantation, right? Mm-hmm. So um, he told the his, second largest country yeah. in landmass. Yeah, I just want to point this out. Yeah. In Africa, is his estate. Yes. of his to govern by himself. Yes. as a murderous dictator. Yes. and extract whatever resources. Yes, yeah, exactly. Sure. So, like, I feel like I have to keep keeping this in mind. Just right. the sheer he's size the of the landmass. Yeah. He's the landlord, and he's like, if you want to live here. Yeah, okay. Like, we thought it was fucked up in Ireland. This is a next level. Yeah, yeah. This is, like, ten next levels. Yeah. Okay. So um, his force publique, his private army, he told them that, like, anyone who doesn't meet their rubber quota for the day, just shoot them. Just fucking shoot them. Just shoot them. But here's the thing. 
Uh, ammunition is really expensive at this point, and uh, there's so much big game hunting, and all these mercenary officers are like, you know, real adventurer guys, and the king's worried that they're going to waste all the bullets big game hunting. Oh, my God. So he says, after you shoot the person for not meeting their quota, cut off their hand and send it in as like a record of the bullet used so that I know you're not wasting any bullets. So obviously what ends up happening is they still keep hunting and wasting the bullets, but they still have to chop off enough hands to make up for those bullets. So if you don't meet your quota, you just get your hand chopped off. Oh, shit. And if you've already lost a hand, then you get your foot chopped off. And if you already lost both of those and you have a kid, then we'll just start cutting their limbs off when you don't make your quota. Fuck. So that's life in the Congo free state. I wish that this were a video podcast because I don't have any words. I only have horrified facial expressions. It's unbelievable. It's Uh. unbelievable. For 25 years, this went on. The reason it finally stopped was the missionaries. There were a lot of Christian missionaries going in there and seeing what was going on and like... Horrified, of course. like what the fuck? And some of them really started talking about it to like anyone who would listen because they were so horrified. And then some famous authors wrote books about what was going on. Um, Arthur Conan Doyle, Joseph Conrad, Mark Twain did some writing about this. And so like it could no longer be ignored. Like too many people were upset about what was happening. Basically, like, a bunch of heads of state in Europe sat King Leopold down and were like, dude, Dude. you're fucking up colonialism for all of us. (laughs) Fuck. You have to stop. So he was basically forced to turn over the Congo to the country of Belgium. So it's basically still his. It Uh still belongs to Belgium. But now there are, like written laws about how people are supposed to be treated. Oh, God. Mostly not worth the paper they're written on, but things do become a little bit less brutal. Fuck. I'm just like, I'm like, when one person gets absolute power, mm-hmm. it's kind of upsetting. Mm-hmm. Like, where they deci- what they decide to do with it. Are we just like, as humans, like... I try so hard to believe that we're good, but are we just <laughs> fucked up animals that no, are kept man, in place uh, by the conventions of society? But if we were al- if we were allowed to just go rule with impunity, what happens next? Like, where's the morality? Like, I'm just trying to absolute power corrupts absolutely. That's right. I just what happens. I don't know. It's really horrifying. It's fucking yeah. terrible. Or is it just like Europeans? No, it's not. I know no. that either. It's, it's, <laughs> I know that too. It's power. Man, you know, I just don't understand. You know what? I don't want to live in this world anymore. Just take me out. Oh, my God. And what? I'm just Jenny's joking. going to kill herself. Are you joking? I'm not. Don't actually do that. <laughs> but it is, it is like, it is a little bit. It's just disheartening to know just how awful people and humans can be. And it's like. I don't know. I'm it really just glad it just gives led me, with the coffee company first. I'm feeling like an existential moment of crisis right now. 
I wish I could say things got better for the Congo. It's just like hard to it's hard to exist in a world knowing like that these types of people do these types of awful things and not that far off history and also in much more recent history as I'm sure we're about to learn. And can convince other people to do this work for yeah. them. It's one thing to have yeah. like one crazy horrible evil guy. It's mm-hmm. another thing to have like an army of men who are just willing to do whatever he says, yeah. you know. Mm. Ugh, it's awful. Um so Belgium takes over. 1908 to 1960, we have the Belgian Congo. Um, Oh, you know what I forgot to mention? Uh, The term crimes against humanity was invented for the Congo Free State. Like, that's the first time that phrase was ever in print. That's how bad it was. Um, They invented crimes against humanity. Yes. Wow. Man. (laughs) Um, So the Belgian Congo... You know, then there are laws saying, you know, you're not supposed to have forced labor, you're not supposed to torture people. Um, but the the bureaucrats and the soldiers are all the same people that the king put there in the first place. Like, there's no change in who's running the show aside from just the king. Yeah. But you don't have these same, like, crazy quotas and punishments and things mm. so much. So... The forced labor still exists. There's nothing being done for these people. Nobody's getting health care. Nobody's getting an education. There's Nobody's worried about building a fucking school in this country. But less people are dying. Less people are being murdered. Less people are starving to death. So baby I get, steps. I guess, like, if you're somebody who's living in this, like, situation and your life has been, like, I'm about to get my hand cut off all of my limbs cut off and then my children's limbs cut off and then it like you've kind of like that's just your reality and uh-huh. it becomes slightly better i mean it's slightly better it's slightly better it's not good it's not good like everybody knows about hitler mm-hmm. more people need to know about these kind of people too yeah the whole continent of africa needs a little bit more awareness yes i'm we need more awareness of the entire continent yes, of africa exactly yes. Yes. yeah the world does yes well, thank God for missionaries, I guess, in this case. Um, yeah, silver lining there. <laughs> in this case. Yeah. Um, they were successful in converting, like, the entire country to Christianity. I mean, I imagine they'd be popular. Yeah. 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 You know hey, what? I'd convert, thank too. Thank you. Yeah. They were frustrated that there were still some, like, uh, I, would you call them pagan things that kept creeping in? They couldn't quite get rid of the old religion <laughs> entirely. Yeah, that's true. Like in like indigenous belief systems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so post World War II, colonization is really kind of frowned upon, and now we've got the UN saying like maybe this isn't very good. <laughs> um, you've also got um, Congolese leaders like really starting to organize well and really starting to, like, fight for independence. Um, So the colonial government starts, like, making promises about elections, talking about elections in the late 50s. By 1959, you've got a lot of rioting, a lot of protests, a lot of people just, like, really, if you don't get the fuck out, we will burn your shit down, which is great. I think they were, weren't they doing that in Kenya at the same time, too? It sounds like right after post-World War II, like, the African continent was like, look, we don't want your shit anymore. Yeah. And same thing, I think, South Africa as well. There was something about World War II, like, a lot of these African countries 
put on uniforms and went and fought in World War II. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, some of it was being fought in North Africa. Yeah. And I don't know, uh, something about that made people like, wait, if we can fight for them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was like the end of colonialism in the Middle East as well. Mm. So that's why the Middle East is all fucked up as well. Right. Yeah. Fucking colonialism. Um, so June 30th, 1960, there's an election, Belgium hands over the country, they have a president and a prime minister, um, the country immediately falls into crisis. Like, mm. Belgium just pulls out, obviously, in a way that yeah. is not helpful. There's no transition they're like, well, you plan. Don't, they're yeah. like, you don't want us? Well, fuck you then. Figure yep. it out. Yeah. Bye. It's, yeah. Right. Um... There was so much um, disagreement amongst the Congolese people because, again, we're talking about 200 different ethnic groups and more languages spoken than that even. And, and a huge country and hundreds of interests and in, in tribal groups and yep. right and kingdoms. Holy shit. So it's real hard to agree on one guy to be mm-hmm. in charge of all this, right? Right. Um, they end up with both a president and a prime minister, one of whom is more liberal, one of whom is more conservative, as some sort of um, compromise. Mm. The two of them hate each other, are <laughs> constantly trying to wrestle power from each other. I think it's like a year later that one of them is executed with the help of Belgium and the CIA. Oh, oh. my gosh. Um, You've just got like... Tons of infighting within the country. Um, the Cold War starts. And there's uranium mm. in the DRC. So the Soviet Union and the U.S. each back their own guy mm. in the hopes that they will have access to the uranium. Our guy ends up, quote, winning the election, right? Mobutu. He um, renames the country Zaire. Mm, mm -hmm. That lasted for like 20 years or something. But that's the way I knew the country. Like when I was in school, that's what it was called. I remember that. Then I remember they changed it. I think you can find that still on like old globes. Yeah. Yeah. And then they did change it back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think 20 years or something. So uh, Colonel Mobutu was um, anti-communist. So he was supported by the U.S. Uh, He was very conservative and very anti-Europe. He like... While Belgium had been there, a lot of names had been changed to, like, King Leopold Lake Mm. or whatever. (laughs) So he was the one who, like, changed all those names back and just wanted to, like, erase as much of colonialism as he could. Very much a nationalist, which, um, not a bad thing. But also, there was a lot of mismanagement and corruption. I mean, who... Who would have been prepared to run this country? You know what right. I mean? I don't think anyone could have. I'm not, I don't no. know. I don't know you, what kind of leader I mean, he was. Yeah, but. it would be, it would require some, it, it left this huge power vacuum too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. They had to figure out their own military, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. Yep. I mean, I think a good way to do it though would just be to go to the tribal leaders and have like a big, huge conference and say, you know what, like, why don't we just kind of all go back to like doing our own thing? Like this, this is how I would maybe do it and have everybody kind of agree on everybody managing their own deal. Mm. And like, if you've got resources in your area, like everybody just kind of, just kind of stay in your own backyards. Well, I'll tell you all about how that worked out. (laughs) Um, Let's see. Oh, the cold war ends in the late eighties. So then the U S is like, well, we're done with you. Um, 
everything falls apart again. You know, the U.S. was backing this guy and now they're not, right? Hmm. Um, and then we've got like the 90s, the civil war in Rwanda, mm-hmm. which was so horrific. And that, I mean, to say it spilled over across the border is um, oversimplifying. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, right. it was a real problem, especially in the Kivu region. The coffee growing region was like right butt up against... Rwanda and refugees just like came flooding over the border and soldiers and rebel groups and oh, it's shit. a big mess. Um 1996 you've got the first Congo war. I don't know how many civil wars there have been in the Congo between 19 like I I don't even know what constitutes a civil war anymore. You've got people fighting the government, you've got people fighting each other, big groups, small groups. You've got Warring groups being funded by outside interests. Mm-hmm. So the U.S. and Russia, China, um, all of the border countries, Rwanda, Uganda, Burundi, are all, all have their hands in the pie trying to influence what's going on in, in the Congo. DRC. Yeah. Um, <sighs> currently, in, currently, like right now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still. Yeah. Um, so a new, let's see. A new president, Kabila, comes in around 2000 and is assassinated almost immediately. But he's the one who changes the name to Democratic Republic of Congo. Um, The son is confirmed in an election in 2006, which is the first election since 1960. Um, You've got, between 2008 and 2018, you've got like 6 million people dying in civil wars. There's a Kivu crisis. I don't even know specific, that's like a specific little war going on right in the Kivu region, which is definitely being impacted by people from Rwanda. Um, I don't really, it's all like very messy. I don't even know what to say about all this. Like, I don't understand. I don't know who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. If there is any bad guy or good guy, I, I don't know whose influence is good or bad. Yeah. It's and so messy. Yeah. I think it's like, um, I think it's impossible necessarily for us to determine mm-hmm. as well, mm-hmm. right? Especially when it's so widespread and skirmishes here and skirmishes there. And like you said, between so many different groups of mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. And so many different, like, interested outside parties mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Like, this is the part. Where where we warned you about earlier, where it just it just gets messy and complicated and and probably not the best audio. I don't think that. <laughs> well, I think that sometimes we can't even like, especially in war. Like, there's so often everybody's wrong, right? Like, yeah, if, right. If yeah. people aren't working for peace, right, and like a solution, I mean. Is there is it ever right to just go and kill somebody? Right. Like I don't and, know and any you have situation. Dozens, at least dozens, if not hundreds, of of groups that have been that have history that goes thousands of years mm-hmm. too, right? So it's like that also is an, another added layer of like complication. Mm-hmm. I think it's when the when people definitely from the outside start getting involved as well. Like that is like that's bad news. Yeah. Like you so I remember learning about in one of my anthropology classes we were learning about in um 
Papua New Guinea mm-hmm. and about tribal people in Papua New Guinea. And it was actually like we were learning about cannibalism, but um, it was like these tribes would war with each other and then they would eat each other's brains. So like horrifying to us, uh-huh, right? Uh-huh. But that's taking like an outsider, white, pers- European, American, whatever perspective on uh-huh. something that... I'm writing this down because now I'm going to do like a PNG coffee. Yeah, well, so you, you should. It's really this. interesting. Um, so, but th- like if they're just kind of allowed to do their thing, which they are, we th- like nobody's stepping in to tell them like that's wrong, don't do that, you guys are like crazy, this is horrific. They're just kind of left to do what they've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. Uh-huh. And yes, it is horrific, but we're not getting involved trying to change their culture and the way that they do things. Uh-huh. And I think that's maybe part of the problem in Africa, too, is that you have these people from the outside coming in and they're supporting and they're trying to influence. And then that kind of upsets the balance as well. Uh-huh. And so maybe there may have been like warring tribes or whatever. But they were working, had we not influenced, they could be just working it out. However, they'd been working it out for thousands of years. And if that's awful and horrific and bloody, whatever, like, it's just what they, it's just like what somebody else's culture is doing. Right. But I think when, yeah, when we start getting involved from the outside and saying, this is wrong, you can't do this, and you try to change it, then it's like, it just becomes all fucked up. It's a hot take. Are you in favor of getting involved or not? <laughs> Definitely fucking no. Just, Just like, stay out of it. But it's like at this point it's already so fucked up because people, outside influences, have been trying to influence and change and make people do things differently for so long. Since 1500s. It's like, so, does yeah. anybody so even know out, how to like do it anymore? Leaving it to China and Russia to figure out yeah. global almost, politics, man. It's, it's like, it, if anything, at this point, any outside influences should be working towards should be working towards like mediation and resolution and trying to help people support that rather than, you know, still trying to economically influence people for their yeah. own interests no. or whatever. No, here's what you do. I already, I already solved the problem. Here's what you do. You nationalize all of the resource extraction and give those resources back to the people and the citizens of the country. Yeah, but somebody still has to manage that. Yeah, but then you do that through a democratically elected process. Which I sounds a- like they tried to do. Fucking socialist markets. You know. Um, okay, the last election was 2018. A guy named Felix Shisik. Mm, Kitty, I apologize for my pronunciation. Um, widespread suspicion about election fraud. I don't know how legit he is. Um, since he was elected in 2018, armed conflicts all over the place, still being backed by a lot by Rwanda and Uganda, especially in this region. They've also had, in these past three or four years, measles outbreaks, Ebola outbreaks. Of course, they didn't escape COVID-19. Just a year ago, there was like a failed coup. There have been a lot of coups, too, Mm -hmm. by the way, like suddenly a new president, like through military force. So, yeah, things are still extremely messy, better, like – better than they were 20 years ago, but messy. Mm-hmm. Messy. Just give the money back to the people and the power. <sighs> but that, yeah, that's, you still have to have people who in power who are willing to help that transition. But when you have people who are corrupt in power, right. like they can say that they're going to do this all day long, but 
some like starting with my people yeah exactly (laughs) you know it's like it's so complex and complicated because it started out as smaller tribes right and then you had right and that's this like this like all of this concentrated power for like the officers right like that's the government structure so i really don't know what the solution is yeah i'm sure that there's some like really smart scholars out there who have studied this sort of thing and they might have solutions that nobody's implementing but well, does that... I don't know. Shall we brew some coffee? No. No? We, no, we have talk to about? talk about the coffee farmers first. Sorry. No, that's fine. Still got a few minutes. No, that's great. Um, Yeah, so I just wanted to talk about, like, what the... There have been some interviews with the farmers, and they have things to say about what's going on. So I wanted to give them a little bit of a voice, too. Yeah. Good. In this coffee zone, in the Kivu Mountain area, 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, roughly, um... Gold, diamonds, and other minerals are being mined in this region. Mm. So if it was just coffee, maybe they'd be left alone a little bit. But the combination of being on a border and having all this other stuff Mm -hmm. that people are interested in has made it really difficult. Um, Kivu was a base for a lot of different rebel groups in the 90s because of its location near Rwanda. Um, There have been revolts against the central government and, like, revolutionary governments set up. Like, the East Congo government made an attempt to, like, split off. That was, like, supported by Burundi, again, so, like, a different foreign influence. Um, There's a lot of corruption a lot of corruption like farmers tend to say that's the biggest problem like i mean when like rebel groups show up with guns that's a problem but like the constant corruption in the government is also a problem so first of all you're like in the mountains with this coffee and you've got to move it um a lot of Farms are really tiny, and a lot of farmers don't have a way to process the beans. Mm -hmm. So they're selling the cherries, um, which is uh, more perishable than dried coffee, Mm -hmm. right? There's like a time limit. So lots of times you've got roadblocks. You've got armed uh, militia groups blocking different – lots of times there aren't roads. Lots of times the roads are washed out if it's the rainy season. And then lots of times you're being stopped – And then there are also official and unofficial taxes being collected by government agents. So people are making, like, basically no money on their coffee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, um, 55 cents a pound. Yeah. And then paying bribes out of that still. I want to say that's why I think it's so important um, that there are milling and processing plants. because there are a lot of farmers, and what we see is in specialty coffee is there is this, I don't know, push, movement, whatever you want to call it. I know, like, with our the importers that we've worked with, they will, like, sponsor and create processing plants. Um, also, there's people who will, like, leave their communities, their coffee-growing communities, and, like, study abroad and, like, learn business and then come back and, like, build a milling station. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of places in the coffee-growing world that has become more common are these processing plants. And then they'll be teaching the farmers, too, how to grow specialty coffee. 
Um, but it's so important to have that processing. And because a lot of times those people will also have, you know, the abilities to get the coffee to market mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. they, you know, the farmers will bring them all the coffee, they'll process it and then export it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder if because of like the political situation in the Congo in the coffee region, if it's harder for people to build those mills and those exporting operations. Um, there are some NGOs and some cooperatives springing up that have had various degrees of success. Um, it's bourbon and Blue Mountain varieties, by the way, hmm. being Interesting. grown there. Oh, that's cool. Um, Interesting. So in the late 70s, they were exporting 120,000 tons a year of mostly Robusta. Um, by 2002, they were down to 10,000 tons, mm. so less than 10%. But a lot of farmers are saying, we're still <laughs> growing as much. We're just smuggling it out of the country oh. and not selling it as Congolese coffee. Hmm. So what they're doing is they're the prices are better in Rwanda. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're selling it on the black market as Rwandan coffee. Oh. But here's how they get it to Rwanda. They have wooden canoes and hmm. they put the coffee cherries on the wooden canoes and Shit. make a two-day trip across this fucking lake that could explode huh. at any moment. Wow. Holy shit. <laughs> Over 2,000 farmers have drowned in this lake. Oh, my wow. gosh. Um, there are only 11,000 coffee farmers wow. in the country. And so, they're probably all really small landholders. Yeah. Like a few acres or whatever. You know, I tried to look. I swear that I read like two and a half to eight and a half acres mm-hmm. was the average. And then I couldn't find that figure anywhere again. Um, it's terrifying, this, like, methane lake. So, like, if they survive the two-day trip across the methane lake, <laughs> then they're, they're given prices below market value if they're not just robbed mm-hmm. of their coffee. So, And they're transporting cherries. Right. So it's got to get to a processing mill right. pretty quickly. Yeah. Okay, so they're setting up these micro-washing stations. Here's who's over there. Starbucks Mm. and Falcon Coffee, Mm. which is a green coffee Mm -hmm. trader. Are you familiar? I've not heard of Falcon, but I have heard of Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so problems include no electricity Mm -hmm. and no water. Right? I mean, there's like no infrastructure here for this at all. So these micro washing stations, I was reading like a farmer's account of how we have a washing station, but we don't have running water to the washing station. So we're carrying this coffee on our backs a kilometer to the river where we can wash it in the river and then carrying it back. But there's no road. We're like literally just like walking down the mountain and if it's raining, we can't. Mm-hmm. We yeah. just, like, can't get there. Right. Um, security is extremely precarious. There are, like, just, like, groups of guys with machetes walking around murdering people at random, apparently. 1,300 people have died that way just in, like, recent years. Like, working at the washing station. The crew of five guys at the washing station was all murdered last week. So now we need some new people to work at the washing station. Jesus. Like, good luck filling those jobs. That's right. Like, like, 
Right. It's worse than working for Amazon, you guys. <laughs> and we finally found the place. <laughs> Um, so the farmers are saying, we know that Starbucks is paying $2.80 a pound to the cooperative. The cooperative is saying they're going to pay us $0.55 cents a pound, but I've been doing this for three years and still am waiting for a check from the cooperative. Mm. So shit like that is happening too. People have started growing bananas instead because it's a more reliable profit. I don't know. Um Ugh. I did read a really nice story about a co-op on an island in Lake Kivu. Imagine living on an island in this fucking lake. Right. But it's like a bunch of former child soldiers who have somehow been brought in to like grow and harvest and process coffee. And they're I bought like, coffee from them before. Really? Yeah. It was a very nice story. Yeah. So, I don't know. These co-ops are getting some government funding. The government really wants a specialty coffee industry, but they can't seem to hold power in the coffee-growing region or protect the coffee-growing region. So, Yeah, I just tried looking on um, the website for the company that we buy a lot of our coffee from. They don't even have Congo listed. Yeah. Mm. As a a region. Congo and Rwanda and Burundi. They do have Burundi and Rwanda, yeah, but not Congo. Does say? Does any of them say Lake Kivu, or Kivu? I think Lake that's Kivu. a good question. I think Lake Kivu is that coffee that's grown on the island or processed on the island. Mm. Yeah, I've seen pictures. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah. it's really beautiful there. So beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That's why I was surprised that. It's so dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's like it's, it's like picturesque. It's beautiful. I mean, as long as nothing happens. Yeah. As long good. as that methane stays where it belongs. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Yeah. Some sort of surface tension between the methane and the water and the shoot <laughs> or whatever. Fuck. Yeah. Um, so shall we brew some coffee? Yeah. I want to awesome. try this. That's, I'm excited to try this too. Modest Coffee roasts the highest quality single origin coffees without the snobbery. They take the guesswork out of buying specialty coffee by carefully curating green coffees and sorting them to one of their tiers based on cupping score, price, flavor notes, and roast level. Go to www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Pip pip cheerio! And we're back brewing some coffee now. And I've got um, the old factory reveal. Yeah, those I smelled those uh, grinding. Smelled uh, smelled pretty good there, Janet. It does smell good. Maybe one of the best smelling coffees we've had on so far. Yum yum yum. We actually haven't Ooh. had many specialty roasters. We had Kova, Bean Fruit, and now Anodyne. Yeah. What uh, what kind of roast is that? Is that a medium? It looks pretty. I'm impressed with how light it looks. Yeah. I think it is a medium. It smells like on the what lighter side of medium. What do we got going on here? Yeah. It's yeah. never on the lighter side of medium. This is quite a treat. In fact, you know, the bag doesn't say what the roast level is, as yeah. a matter of oh, fact. Oh, interesting. I'll look up their website. Maybe it'll say. I'm smelling chocolate. I'm smelling vanilla. I'm smelling uh, tobacco-y a little bit. Um, You're doing pretty good with your tasting, with your notes. Uh-huh. Keep, I'm not, you didn't hit them all, but you got close. You want me to tell you what their tasting notes are? Um, You've got coffee on. on your nose now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then there's um, uh, 
It's almost like orange flower, citrus flower, floral. Uh-huh. What do you got? All right. Their tasting notes are cocoa, caramel, which is maybe where your vanilla scent is. Mm-hmm. Vanilla slash tobacco-y scent would be coming from because that's kind of caramelly. Um, and cranberry mm. is what's on their bag. And, um, yeah, I think the cranberry, like citrus, sure. cranberry, not too far off from each yeah. other. Uh, their website says it's just to the light side of medium. Mm-hmm. They've got like a whole line and it's like just on the, there you go. Just wonder, on the light end. I wonder why they don't put that on their bag. Yeah, that's surprising. Mm-hmm. I think that that's something that I had a, I had struggled with too and like really early on is like I didn't want people to focus on the roast level so much as like the coffee itself. And then that mm. was like a strategic decision to be like, well, peop- you got to kind of meet people where they are so what their expectations are, so you kind of got to like... So we decided to put that on the bag because people are used to looking for that, I think, when they're looking for coffee. So, But I, I understand the struggle of like not wanting to put that on the bag. One thing I find interesting is looking at their bag is that their bag is printed, but their label is added, and their bag has USDA organic printed on it. So that must mean that they only get organic grown coffees in oh because they wouldn't have that printed on their bag if it weren't going to be for every yeah, yeah. interesting mm-hmm. so they must be cer- certified organic too and then they must only buy certified organic coffees Maybe. cool which this... i i don't entirely agree with that method of buying coffee i think it excludes a lot of uh growers um i have i have feelings about that but I know that a lot of people have feelings about organic. I just don't think organic is the best for farmers. Well, and and for some coffees in some regions too, because like I was talking to a farmer grower and they're like, yeah, if you do, you you either choose to be organic or you choose to lose your crop uh, when coffee rust sets in. I think it's funny that you say that you were talking to a farmer because actually I was talking to a farmer and I relayed that story to you. (laughs) You know, I have a very strong like visual sense where I can just put myself there. So maybe that's what it was. Yeah, it was a woman at the farmer's market in Elmhurst. She came up to me one day and we were talking and she was like, what do you, you know, where do you buy your coffee? I'm an importer and uh, we just got into the discussion of farming and organic and and then we got it that's the one who told me about the rust and Uh about how it's really important for farmers it's better for farmers not to have organic i feel like i'm there yeah (laughs) i'm such a i was it was like such a colorful storyteller at the time i put you there (laughs) so a lot of these small landholders like you were just saying two to eight acres Mm -hmm. perhaps yeah Um, how can it possibly be worth it to get organic certification unless the co-op is paying for that right still that's cutting into your tiny profit Uh uh-huh i mean how many pounds of coffee can you possibly grow on two acres right and then she was saying that if you're organic certified like coffee rust is a really serious problem if Coffee rust comes in and it goes untreated, your crop is gone. Mm. You have no money now for the year. Yeah. And so to be able to spot treat rust um, before it spreads Mm -hmm. is really, really important. So just because somebody's not organically certified doesn't mean that they're not practicing good land growing and like things that are good for the soil and the plants. A lot of times they're growing other crops along with their coffee like you're saying they're harvesting bananas mm-hmm. like these shade crops are what really help keep away pests and mm-hmm. um but like, she was saying that there is no organic treatment for rust 
at all. Yeah. So you have to risk yeah. either giving up your certification or losing the crop. Mm-hmm. And it's just not worth it for the small landholders. It's like a seven-year certification or something. You can't just like give up your certification this year because you had a rust problem and get it back next year. It doesn't work mm-hmm. that way, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, we have to think about like supporting farming practices and are we in this business to support farmers uh-huh. and there are some small landholders and things that do have organic certifications i don't think yeah. that it's something to avoid right but i don't think it's something if they don't have an organic certification it just takes a little bit more effort yeah. to learn about their growing practices you know just from like a general like sourcing perspective like we pay like higher quality coffees are worth more and the growers and the farmers get paid premiums for like how high a, a, a coffee can score. Uh-huh. Um, so generally like we let quality be our guide uh-huh. for like what coffees we buy. And I know that that does trickle down based on cup score. So mm-hmm. Marcus talk a minute about, uh, we talked the other day about how you had gotten a coffee from um, the DRC before. Yeah. And years ago. Yeah. So I, Talk a little bit about the process of, like, acquiring this coffee and how hard is it to find coffee from the Congo? Yeah, and that's really good. Since then, it's been really spotty. Like, I haven't really seen it that often um, available. And and now, after, like, hearing your episode, like, that makes sense. This probably is getting, like, smuggled out and being sold through Burundi or Rwanda. It's Mm -hmm. all on the same you know, island and be basically the same geographic area. Right. And if so, they're growing the same varietals. Right. So, and they probably, probably taste pretty similar. They're all, you know, kind of close to each other. So, um, that said, um, it's, it's like getting, like you said, like getting coffee out of any of these kind of conflict areas. Kenya is another really good example in Ethiopia too, but Kenya's Kenya has so many middlemen to get mm. coffee out too. Or um, you think about Yemen, the coffee in Yemen. Yeah. And so all of these kind of areas, um, it gets more expensive the more people are involved in getting the coffee out of the country. And so the Congo, I would have to assume, now is is just like that, too. So Burundi and Rwanda are um, much easier to get coffee from. And they're actually much more competitive globally. Um, and probably because they're more stable economies and have made it very clear on how to get coffee out. Um, so those are coffees that we've typically picked up. Mm-hmm. Um, but every coffee I've had from Congo has been really, really good. Oh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I just think it's, it's disappointing when people have access to a livelihood, but don't have access to monetize mm-hmm. that livelihood. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, especially when people need those resources and that structure of getting the coffee to market and I think that it tends to, um, you like you almost need like outside forces to go in and help. Like I know at Indira talking to Cody about what he's done for their farmers, or like what it, he's helped be a part of in Uganda is teaching farmers how to grow better coffee, giving them access to exporting their coffee. But he had to go in and kind of help set that system up for the Ugandan farmers. And similar to Kenya, it's a lot of women who are doing the work in Uganda as well. Um, And and that's the thing is that, like, they do that directly one-to-one. And so Indiro is, like, is the middleman and the 
the person exporting it. Whereas like in some of these other countries, like there's somebody that moves it from this point to that point to the mill, you know, and there's just so many people that are in the middle of moving that product uh -huh. to getting it out of the country. That just gets complicated and expensive. Yeah. It's um, too bad. Because... And that's how you get to the situation where you have farmers that are only getting paid, you know, a couple of cents on the pound. Uh -huh. Whereas like that end market, you know, it might be being sold on the international market for like $5 a pound from Kenya, which is inexpensive coffee. Um, regardless of even cup quality at that point. Uh -huh. But you go from like something that costs the middleman 50 cents to buy, right? That then ends up selling on the international market for five. It's a, yeah. It, yeah. How do you get there? Uh -huh. It's because everybody's taking their piece along the way. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it would be, you almost, you just need somebody almost who has left the area or comes in from outside the area who is willing and, able to be like ethical because mm -hmm. I think that's part of it too is just making sure that there's ethical people who really want to do the right thing by the growers and help them um so hopefully I mean it seems like it's definitely a thing that is growing specialty coffee is like a is a thing and then people coming in and starting these programs and it just probably hasn't of... reached the uh what? Well, like we work it. with a lot of importers that do set up field offices and uh -huh. labs and, and that sort of thing so that they can even grade it to then pay more for higher quality coffee. Um, and But then you get into really unstable areas and like the importers are not willing to set up someplace that's unsafe. Right. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Apparently the central government and the DRC has made it a lot easier for green coffee buyers to get visas. Apparently that was a problem. Mm. Like they couldn't even get in there. Wow. Right. So, uh, you know, it seems like there are efforts being made. But, yeah, the safety in the area is – that's a real concern. Well, I right. think Cody has also worked with – in Uganda has worked with politicians and local officials and countrywide officials to help them – see and realize and support the coffee growing efforts is how this can be a viable source of income mm -hmm. for their country. Mm -hmm. But you need those people doing the work and convincing the government. Oh, no, we need cups. Oh, let me go grab some. <coughs> I guess I'll just pause it. I just want to say one last thing about Cody is that um, just for the record, the recorded record, he's very sensitive about being a white dude from America going into Uganda and being a part of the coffee growing experience. Mm. And I just want to say that Cody has a Ugandan woman business partner mm. who does do a lot of the management and runs basically everything that's happening in Uganda. Oh, Indira? Yeah, Indira. Yeah, they're huge. He's not just like some white dude coming in like neo-colonialist. No, this is a <laughs> oh, Ugandan company. Neo-colonialist. Yeah. yeah. I right. don't know that I've heard that term I, before. I just made it up. That's it might, awesome. It yeah. might be a term that I heard somewhere, but I no. just made it up. Yeah, it's a Ugandan company. Yeah. Um, and Cody's just like a, a business partner yeah. helping to get it out the country. Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And like they're doing great. what he can in Uganda. But Yeah, yeah I like working with them. Mm -hmm. Respect what they're doing a lot. Yeah. Anyways. Shout out to Indiro yeah. and Aurora. So anyways, I just want to make sure I made that clear. Uh -huh. That right. it is still a Ugandan company ran by Ugandan people. Cody right. is just like a business partner. Yeah. So anyways, All right. coffee. Yes. Yeah, Freaking. let's do this. Do we have whiskey? Oh, shit. Are we out? No. 
We were talking about buying some nearest green whiskey. We're going oh, yeah. to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that available at the Woodman's? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see where we can get it. Binnie's, maybe. Maybe. We need to get some more booze. Um, Marcus is using the coolest, modest coffee coffee mug. Please tell us where you got it. I, you know, what's the guy's name? Josh? I know his name. His name's Josh. Um, J.H. Pottery Works. Well. In, in the Indianas, apparently. Yeah. Josh mm-hmm. reaches out after the accident. Uh-huh. It's like I'm so so sweet you know, of him. so moved and so sorry. And he made me a left-handed coffee mug. So cool. Modest coffee. He's my favorite color. Mm-hmm. And it's like a really nice mug. It too. looks really great. High quality. Let me get a good picture you know, of it. It's got a good cylinder. I don't know how he, it's like skilled guy. Yeah. Do you know him or he's just a random no, dude? He just heard the story and reached out. That's so great. So That's nice. Very cool. Yeah. It was very kind of him. Like, right after it happened and I was posting about it on social media, he reached out and he was like, hey, I'd love, I'm so sorry of, like, what you guys are going through. I would love to make Marcus a mug and send it to you guys. That is yeah. the sweetest. Mm-hmm. Super sweet. It's a really sweet. cool mug. We should just, like, order a dozen of those and I know. sell them. I he, love them. He <laughs> asked, like, what should I put on it? And I wanted to say, put bad motherfucker on it. <laughs> Because yeah. that's like Marcus's, you know, his uh-huh. thing. Um, <laughs> but then I don't know. Like, I don't know. You just, yeah. you just don't know. Like, are people okay with ba- the word putting "bad motherfucker" on he their would art? Have been, like, offer rescinded. I know. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, this is such a nice offer. I don't want to risk offending right. him. Yeah. Right. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Right. And I didn't want that guy to feel like he was going to hell on account of me. Right. <laughs> Well, we wouldn't want him to put a swear word and do anything he feels uncomfortable with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I said just do the modest logo. I figured that's nice. nice enough. It looks great. We really should order a bunch of them. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. so you can find his Instagram, JH Pottery Works. Um, what do you guys think about this website. coffee? I haven't tried it yet. It's too, too hot. hot. Mm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've tried it. It's a little chewy. A chewy? chewy? Yeah. Does that mean it's like a feel. nice... That sounds not good for a coffee. It's it's like a thicker it's body. Like, that's yeah, full, fuller bodied, but it's like really thick feeling. Not a bad way. Not a bad review. I like the way things feel when they're thick in my mouth. <laughs> I'll save it for later, baby. <laughs> um... Uh, but yeah, I'm getting the, almost the same aromatics that I smelled, like tobacco, cocoa, vanilla. Mm. Mm, I smell that too. That I guess that 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 like I a can little see pipe tobacco with Yeah, with the um, the tart cranberry. Sure, mm-hmm. I'll give them that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is hot though. Fucking love the technoform. Yeah, <laughs> kind of grassy. Marcus isn't loving it. I mean, I want to love it more than I do. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's not bad. I see what you're saying about, like, the, did you call it chewy? I, yeah. There is, like, a thickness to it. It has yeah. a little bit of bitterness. Um, I think that bitterness would pair well with, like, some milk. Mm. A little bit mm-hmm. of sweetness, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder if this coffee would be really good as, um, like, in a latte or a mm. cappuccino. May, may, maybe better as an espresso, yeah. Because I feel like it has like a really nice strong body and it has a nice, 
It's not like super bitter, but it has a little bit of a bitterness uh-huh. that I feel like would be really good um, in a, like an espresso-based yeah. drink. Mm. I definitely th- feel like I need, I would like some milk. Yeah. So I'll, 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 I'll dial it up. I'll take it to the, to the next level to get to the, to get to where I want it to go. But I, I'm detecting like a little bit of that like grassy hay undertone as well, mm. which is pretty predominant when you're roasting coffee really at a high temperature. Because you roast the outside of the bean, but you don't get the inside fully roasted. Oh. And so then you can get these like under, underdeveloped um, notes in mm. coffee. If I were to tag him in you saying that, is that something we would want him to hear? Because that it's sounds to me like you're... No, it's intentional. It's a stylistic choice. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing. It's just it's, it tastes like that's what he did. But what if he didn't do that? And he would take that as an insult. If somebody told you your coffee was grassy, wouldn't you be like, insulted? if it was grassy, I would. If it was, if it tasted grassy, I'd be like, you're right. It but what if like you that. didn't taste the grassiness? Huh? What if you didn't taste the grassiness? I mean, you're saying you're I asking just, questions. It sounds that you don't like an like insult. I'm just saying it I'm sounds like saying, an insult. I'm not saying it's insulting. Okay. I'm just saying I I taste it. Okay. It's like saying. I'm just wondering if that's a bad review. No. Huh. <laughs> it's just a stylistic choice that I. Would never make in a million years. That I understand <laughs> why people roast, you know, the way that they do. And it's not bad. Do you it's just much, I want milk. Do you have as much control on a luring? If you don't have don't as know. much control, why would you get that kind of roaster? You know, I'm not sure. I don't know how they roast. I've never roasted a mm. one, so mm. I'm not sure. Um, but like I said, I don't I don't think it's bad. Um, I just want milk with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I hit it with the milk, uh-huh. the Congo. Um and it does soften it, rounds it out. It's definitely like stands up really well with how chewy and kind of full body this coffee was. Uh-huh. Um, so that smooths and rounds it out. I like it. Okay. Yeah. I still taste like a little bit of sharpness in it, which is, it's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, so I'd say it's a good coffee. I like it a lot milk. with the milk. Yeah. yeah. The milk really um, rounds it out well. Yeah. It really just makes it like smooth and super drinkable. Yeah. How's mm-hmm. it with whiskey? I'm liking it with whiskey quite yeah. a bit. Nice. I didn't mind it. You know, I'm going to be like real honest about my experience getting coffee at Anodyne. I thought it was fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had a drip and I don't know what it was and I thought it was fine. And I had a cappuccino that was a little milky for my taste, but fine. Um, so this is kind of in line with my experience at Anodyne so far. Yeah. It's like. Fine. <laughs> um, I, I mean, you said it earlier. Like, I want it to be just like a little bit better. Yeah. Um, I want to like it more than I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is maybe just personal taste. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying they're doing it wrong. Spoiled. So I am a little spoiled. <laughs> uh, um, but yeah, I added a little whiskey. It just. Um, yeah, mellowed, I guess. I I can't quite figure out what... I don't know what it is that I don't like about it. Like, there's nothing to complain about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just kind of like a, a good basic coffee. Mm-hmm. That's why I think it goes really well with the milk. When you're evaluating coffee, right, there's bitterness, there's sweetness, and there's acidity or tartness. And I feel like this is kind of one... It really hits the tartness dimension, I don't want to say it's one-dimensional because that feels wrong, but it does feel like really heavy on the tart. And mm-hmm. then the other two are kind of like knocked back a little bit. And so I think that that's also why it pairs really well with milk is because it's it's not you're not getting as much like 
balance from the other two. Mm. I feel like it was more bitter to me than tart. Mm. I got more bitterness in my opinion. That's why I think it goes well with the milk because the bitterness is like smoothed out by the milk. Yeah. I added whipped cream. But the whipped cream, every time I try to take a sip, it like, it like scoots away from my mouth. <laughs> so I'm like trying to sip it and I just keep getting milk. So mm. I think that that's, that's like the consensus here is that we all, we all like it. Mm-hmm. We all wish we liked it more. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not bad. Like I said, if I had an espresso maker and I was making myself a latte, this would be great for that, I mm. think. And especially if I was trying to sweeten it a little bit, this would be great. It's a great coffee to add a little bit of milk and a yeah, little bit good, of sweetness. Good espresso base layer. Really good, I think, would make a great mocha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The owner said he likes to drink cortados, which I had to look up. I didn't okay. know what that remember, was. I can't remember and what a like cortado is. Equal parts espresso and milk. Mm. Okay. Does that make it? Darker or lighter than a cappuccino? It's like a Hang third, on. a third, a third, isn't it? A cappuccino <laughs> is more foam. Yeah. Where I think a cortado is more milk. Is it just a cappuccino without foam then? Yeah, because then a yeah. cappuccino would be equal parts. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I believe that they were similar, so that makes sense. That's a great pairing. Mm-hmm. So that's okay. probably intentional. It roasts, you know, like it. It tastes like that's where he's heading. Okay. So it's so nailed it. <laughs> yeah yeah Great. well that's part of roasting too right you're a roaster is roasting to his own taste mm-hmm. or her own taste whatever they're right whatever they're looking to do mm-hmm. the way that they want to drink there's it. some intention behind it right yeah mm-hmm. so cool well uh that was great episode thank you steph yeah for... i hope i didn't repre- uh, depress anybody repress anybody that wasn't me ha that was a, that was a i was gonna say freudian slip but that's a colonial slip that's what we call <laughs> <it>. <laughs> <laughs> anyways so yeah so, yeah if you have an espresso maker and want to try something that, that'll make a good cortado um <laughs> highly recommend this coffee from anodyne coffee roasters the dr the d RC. RC. Yeah. Who knows if they still have it in stock, though? Yeah. I mean, it's still on their website. Still Is on it? Website. Okay. Yep. Damn. Well. So thanks, Steph, though, for your research yeah, and bumming welcome. us all out. Sorry. Yeah. No, I'm sure you could have done a much better job. Bumming <laughs> us out? You, you hardly touched on any genocide. <laughs> so, yes, know. it could have been worse. It, it could have been, been worse. Detailed. We'll save that for another day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's coming. There's another mm, yeah. day. Are we going to get those, Another day, another genocide. Those, yeah, those genocide t-shirts up. We should do that. Another day, another genocide. <laughs> That's another classic, instant classic t-shirt, I think. 87% genocide free. Yes. 87%. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and plug then. We have merch, a merch store on nobadreviewspodcast.com. Also, if you want to buy, I haven't promoted this in a while. If you want to buy a box, a mystery box of oh, past products yeah. for just 10 bucks, including shipping, that's also on our website. So go buy that. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's your call to action. And we'll see you in another couple of weeks. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to this podcast, generously sponsored by Modest Coffee. 
purveyors of single-origin coffee without the snobbery. Visit www.modest.coffee forward slash no bad reviews to see what they're roasting today. Enjoy.